Thanks for joining us this morning, brother. Thank you. My pleasure. Well, it's great to be with you this morning. Thank you for that great time of worship and great songs. Isn't it, uh, isn't it great to be with fellow believers and worshiping like that? And one day we'll be doing that in, in glory. It will be an incredible, incredible time. And you'll be there with people from all over the world and through all the generations. And what a choir that will be. It is a privilege to be with you again, um, and uh, it's just a, a delight that we can share with you what God is doing uh, through our lives, and actually as an extension of your ministry. Um, I was thinking about it the other day. Uh, you actually supported my wife's parents, uh, some of you may know, Jay and Eleanor Walsh, who were missionaries supported by your church. I believe you started supporting them somewhere in the late 1950s. That's a long time ago. And then a couple of decades after that, you started supporting us. So as a church, uh, our family you have been supporting for uh, as, as missionaries sent out or as a part of your church uh, since uh, the late 1950s. That's quite something. And just to share with you about the legacy, thank you for supporting my in-laws, and, and we deeply appreciate you supporting our ministry. But uh, the legacy of Jay and, Jay and Eleanor Walsh lives on. They actually have three grandchildren in their families serving the Lord, two of them in Asia and one in Africa. So that family uh, connection and uh, faithfulness in serving the Lord continues on to this day. And we're just grateful as a family and thankful to you as a church for allowing us the privilege to represent you to people around the world. When you first started supporting us, it was as missionaries to Bangladesh. Um, I share that I met my wife in Bible college. I'm from the Detroit area, came across here to what is today known as Cornerstone uh, University to go to Bible college. I met this wonderful young lady, but she had three problems. Okay, and I'm just going to be real open with you. My wife has, my wife today, she had, she had problems when I met her. First of all, she was a missionary kid. I didn't know what a missionary kid was, but I just said, yeah, I don't know about that. I, I, it's a little weird. She was way over there somewhere doing something. And so it's like, that wasn't a real draw initially. Secondly, she wanted to go back where she came from. So she wanted to live a life as a missionary over there somewhere. And the third problem was that it wasn't the Bahamas, it was Bangladesh. So uh, I ended up marrying her anyway, and uh, sure enough, we ended up in Bangladesh where we served for over a decade, and it was a life-changing experience for me to be there and to see Christians in other cultures and how they had to manage and maneuver. When I was from America, and we had uh, the freedom to worship and still do today, uh, these places were difficult. If people came to Christ, sometimes their families would say, we'll never speak to you again. Or they cut them off from the village water supply. Or they said, you can't have a job here. And, or they persecuted them in some other way. To be able to see that firsthand as a guy, a young guy from America that just saw freedom as kind of, this is what we do and everybody has it, it really shocked and stunned me to realize, why can't they just do what they want to do? Well, that's when I really began to understand that there is a, an invisible war at work in this world today. There was a God who made us and loved us and 
gave himself for us, and there is uh, a force at work that wants nothing to do with God. It will do anything it can to destroy his work and his followers. Well, as I continued to minister, God opened my eyes about places around the world where that kind of situation was happening. Do you realize when we actually started this ministry, there were two-thirds of the world's population living in places where you could not send a missionary? They could knock on the door and say, I want to come and I want to serve and preach on the street corners and plant churches and two-thirds of the world's population, which means that, I'm not sure where you have it, but if you go to the board here and look at all your missionaries and say, where do we have them all, uh, you're going to find that a vast majority of them are in places where you can send, we call them open countries, you can go and send them there. You might have a few nowadays that we call uh, tent makers or people engaged in business as mission where they can be involved in ministry in ways that allows them into places that might not openly engage them as missionaries, but will allow them to come in and start business and so on. And so you use that as uh, unto the Lord. But um, we decided to go in a different direction, and that is we felt that after two, more than 200 years of uh, modern missions, uh, there were Christians virtually in every country of the world. So we established a ministry to go to even those hard places and to find out who was there. And if there was somebody serving the Lord of that country that know, knew the language and the culture that grew up there, and that might have been a result of some missionary effort through the years, and to be able to come up to them and say, is there a way we can assist you? Is there a way we can serve you? Is there a way you would allow us the privilege to participate with you? Because we want to learn from you. There's so much that you're doing in this difficult context that we need to learn and, and we need to share with others. Well, that ministry <clears throat> led uh, me to many, many countries in the uh, for foundational years. We called it the Gap Ministries, Global Access Partnerships. We gave it a generic name because we were going to difficult places. Someone initially suggested, why don't we call it Christians in Action, CIA? And I said, you know, that might not work in some of these places. So we went to Global Access Partnerships and we called it the Gap Ministries, standing in the gap on behalf of brothers and sisters in Christ on one side of the world and introducing them brothers and sisters in Christ on the other side of the world and saying, you know, maybe you can help each other and be an encouragement to each other. So we did that, established the ministry, and over many years, uh, God blessed, and we were so thankful for that. And we're so thankful for the many churches that joined with us and allowed us the privilege of make, making these introductions. Well, something happened a few years ago uh, that we all experienced, COVID, and uh, all of a sudden we were in a situation where we couldn't freely travel the world. But fortunately, God was way ahead of the curve on that one in that he brought into our team uh, some young people that were really uh, technologically savvy and already had us all up and running so that when COVID happened, we were doing Zoom, instead of Bible conferences or studies right there in the room, we were already set with uh, these kind of things to be able to have these meetings and Bible studies uh, even through that time. Here's the remarkable thing. I guess I should go back a little further. You know, as I get older, you have to start thinking about the future. And I'm not saying I'm there yet, okay? I'm not, uh, I'm not over the hill and uh, ready to go on the downside of that way. But uh, 
you do need to prepare for the future. And also, you know, our world changes so fast, you need to be able to speak to the younger generations. Even though I think I'm pretty hip and can really uh, relate, I realize I cannot. Uh, I, I'm, I'm out of their element. So what you do, you have to bring in some younger people and you have to say, hey, speak their language. I don't get it as much as I think I do. I know I don't. Well, I, in the, the story was remarkable about a young man that God brought into my life and uh, share that in, in a personal way later on, but a um, 27-year-old man working for a, a Fortune uh, 100 or Fortune 50 company, uh, heading up the IT department, just loved Jesus and wanted to be a missionary, didn't know how, and he wasn't really into the traditional way of doing it. God brought us together in a coffee shop, and uh, I know when I walked in the door and he saw me for the first time, he said, oh no, not one of those guys, one of those old guy's going to tell me, you know, get out there and do it for Jesus. And I'm looking at him and saying, oh, not one of these guys. These young whippersnappers that have all the answers and the guys before them never did anything right. You know, so we sat down and within 15 minutes, I think we were both stunned. I was stunned that a man so young got some of the very principles that drove me and drove this ministry where there have been people that have been let's say, in the mission world for decades that I still can't help them to get to the point of even understanding why we're doing what we're doing. Here's a 27-year-old that all of a sudden was sitting in the front of his seat saying, talk to me more about this. And I'm, I'm stunned, and he's also thinking, I can't believe there's one of those old codgers that actually gets what is going on out there. Well, anyway, long story short, that man uh, and another young man that I was able to recruit and train and work through, they are actually leading this ministry. We've changed the name from GAP to Live Global, and I brought these two men on, and they're in charge of day-to-day -day operations uh, and actually directing the ministry, and I get the wonderful privilege of doing the things that I really enjoy, traveling the world, meeting with partners, engaging churches, and uh, I don't have to worry about all of the day-to-day uh, -day kind of things. But let me tell you what's happened. When you look at COVID and all that time and, and all the difficulty, a lot of organizations wondered, are we going to be able to survive? What are we going to do? We actually thrived. I can't explain it except that it must have been, it has to be because of God. But we went from 35 full-time personnel in this ministry, North American personnel, to well over 100. Uh, during those difficult times, and we continue to grow, and our partnerships exploded. We went from, uh, I think, about 100 partners to uh, well over 130, 150 partners, and uh, our church engagement in the States uh, really exponentially developed as well, where we're sitting here in a situation where God is doing something and it's just exciting to be a part of and to watch. You never know the next day who he's going to bring into your life, what call you're going to receive, and where some of our team might travel and, and send word back that this is unbelievable. You have to see this kind of thing. So we're as excited today as we ever have been about this ministry because we believe it is exactly uh, the ministry needed for this kind of day where we are still linking arms, we're, we're telling churches in America, listen, you may or n may not understand what God is or is not doing in your midst. 
Uh, maybe you're frustrated, or, or even in our culture, you say, is God going to do something about it? But I w- would like to turn your attention to the places around the world that have preceded us in some very, very difficult places and difficult times, and to have them shout, hallelujah, our God is alive. He continues to work, and let me tell you what he's doing here, and they can share story after story in the midst of difficult circumstances about the very God that you love doing incredible things, extraordinary things in some of the difficult places of the world. And I'm so thrilled to be able to, I get goosebumps sometimes, I get to travel, and my job is to find out what God is doing, who he is using, and how we can serve and to share that story with people. And it's been the love of my life for going on a few decades now, and uh, you know, I'm just uh, very excited and thankful for churches like yours that have said, keep going, George, keep doing it. And um, thank you from the bottom of our hearts for allowing us the privilege of doing this. Well, I'd like to talk to you today out of uh, 1 Thessalonians Uh, Briefly, we'll run through this. Now, I like to talk at churches about missions, but I'm not going to challenge you with uh, the Great Commission or other passages today. I just want to give you an example of a missionary and what he did when he went to a new place, okay? Now, I'm talking about the Apostle Paul. I'm talking about his journeys, on uh, his missionary journeys, and when he went to a place, how did he engage the people? What did he do to endear himself to them and to be able to uh, reach them for the sake of the gospel? The reason I want to share this with you is the very things that were uh, inherent in what he did are the very things that we as individuals can also uh, apply. And what we do also is look for partners around the world that apply these same principles in their lives. One of the things we tell our people when they walk in the front door, we won't even let them join our team, and we've got a list of a half dozen quality characteristics that must be evident in their lives before we will allow them the privilege to participate with us. And one is evident humility. Now, as Americans, that's difficult because we are, we are raised with we always have the answers, you know, and you go to meet with a national somewhere that is putting his faith on the front lines in some difficult places, you tell, no, 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 you need to do it this way. It's like, who are we? You know, why can't we just sit there and watch what they're doing and saying, wow, so that's how you do it. Thank you. And make a mental note of it and say, Lord, help me to do the same. Um, well, humility is, is important because... Uh, We need to go with the attitude that God has given us grace, and we give grace to others, and we go and and we're lifelong learners so we can gather the information we need to make the wisest decisions for our course of action going forward, and and what is the best way to help believers who invite us into their lives. Humility is very, very important. But relatability is very important as well, and that's what I want to focus on today. If you're desirous to have an impact for Christ and you're the least person in the room somebody wants to dialogue with or interact with, then you're going to have issues. Now, I know some of us are wired to be a little more introvertish and a little more uh, study-oriented and less people-oriented. 
I understand that. And God bless you with your personalities. You can uh, wash them in the blood and have God use your personalities for his glory. There's no question. But relatability, when you're going to various cultures around the world, you need to be able to have the ability to talk and relate and so on. And, and that's what I want to look at in the life of Paul here. What did he do when he went to a new place? How did he engage these people? And I'm going to call it the relational aspects of uh, an outgoing ministry. And uh, as we look at Paul, there are three things I want to look at. First of all, uh, we're going to look at Paul as a brother, okay? You go to a place, how do you get people to look at you as someone they can engage with? Well, I tell you what, I have four brothers, and uh, my brothers are like nobody in the world. My wife, by the way, has four sisters, and, uh, you know, I'm convinced if they weren't sisters, some of them might not even talk to each other, but they're sisters, and they can't wait to talk to each other. They are on different ends of the spectrum, but they're siblings. They have commonalities, grew up in the same home, in the same culture, in the same context, and, and they've got things that they reminisce about. But they were just, two of them were just over our house yesterday. My wife talked to them for two or three hours, and she was just on the phone with one of them for two hours the night before, and it's like, what are you talking about? But they love getting together. Why? They're sisters. I tell you, if you can go to a place or your place of work or school or wherever you are, and you can build a relationship so there is this trust, this comradeship, because you, they, they see you as, as somebody that really cares or, or like a brother, that's a home run. And Paul did that. If you look at, uh, we'll look at chapter 2, Paul says, you know, brothers, that our visit to you is not a failure. So the, the first aspect I want to talk about is Paul as a brother. More than 15 times in this small little personal book, Paul uses the word brother. He, he talks to them as someone he can identify with as a brother. A lot of times we use this, hey brother, how you doing? I've got a guy in India, he will never call me George. He's always brother George, I'm brother George. And uh, for him, that is as close as it can get. And when he uses it, he's actually using it like I am literally related to him. But uh, being a brother and having an effective ministry, how is that, uh, how is that possible? We're going to look at these next few verses, and we're going to see things that uh, help brothers to engage and help Paul to uh, build this relationship in such a way where they saw him as a brother. Verse 2, Paul says, We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you the gospel in spite of strong opposition. First of all, Paul won them over because he was unafraid. Listen, he, he went into a context where sharing the gospel was difficult. He, he experienced opposition. He said, you remember when I was with you? We had opposition, but I told you the truth anyway. I gave you the gospel. When I was with you, I was unafraid. I did what needed to be done because the information I had was so critical, was so important that you needed to have it. And I cared for you so much. I wanted you to have it. Paul said I was unafraid. I think that's critical when I think of national partners around the world in some difficult places. Those that have the most impact for Christ are those that are willing to 
live it out there for Jesus. There was one guy in Bangladesh, of all places. He passed away now, but he was one of our early partners. Shopon was his name. He was easily adept in a city. He'd go to a new town. He could meet with Muslim leaders, Buddhist leaders, Hindu leaders, and just build this wonderful relationship with them that they all were so enamored with him. And then he would have a ministry. He had a boat. We supported a boat ministry. This predated uh, early days of like um, Starbucks or Barnes and Noble. It was like uh, he had a floating library and he'd have a tea room. So he'd take his boat, go to an island and say, hey, I got tea for anybody and books you can read. And they all flock to the place and They'd all enjoy themselves. He'd walk around. He'd say, let me tell you about Jesus. And he was telling the, the gospel with all of them and building a relationship. And then he did the same kind of thing. He'd go to villages and towns, and he would rent a little facility and do the same kind of thing, have a book room and have free tea for anybody who wanted just a place to dialogue about uh, any number of things. And then he would uh, got a n- number of Christian young people together that were very good at... Uh, football, they called it, soccer, and uh, he would have test matches. In, in, in Bangladesh, if you say in this local little stadium we're going to have a uh, uh, soccer match, people would come uh, just from all over the place. You charge them 10 cents to get in, and he would have these matches, and he'd have five or 10,000 people show up, and then at halftime he would be out there, and he'd have uh, all these guys give their testimony, and then he'd preach. They'd say, okay, on to the second half. Um, and he'd do this in a Muslim culture, in a context where he had built relationships as a brother. He was unafraid. He said, my God is in charge. He's in control. We're going to go forward with the gospel. Well, the second thing is Paul was, uh, he was up front with them. It said in verse 3, for the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. <laughs> I love it. And Paul is always appealing to the past. He's saying, remember when I was with you? Yeah, I wasn't trying to trick you. I I, I wasn't pulling the wool over your eyes. I was up front. I was very clear why I was there, what I was attempting to do, and there was never any questioning of my motives. Do you remember that when I was with you? And they would all be nodding. Is there, yeah, can you imagine a Thessalonian believer reading this original? Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that, Paul. Yeah, yeah, when you were with us, that's what you were like, up front. I think if we want to engage our culture, it is important to be up front, not to be playing uh, mind games or hidden mirror tricks when it comes to the gospel. I think there are times to be straightforward. I understand there are times also you need to be circumspect and, and you know, uh, provide certain truths at certain times. But we can never hide the fact of who we are and uh, who we love and who we're serving and what our, what our hope is for the future. So Paul was unafraid. He was up front. In verse 4, he was uncompromising. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. He was uncompromising. This wasn't about how you felt about me or how they felt about Paul. It was about Am I doing what God is requiring of me? Am I, am I living a life that is pleasing to God? Am I, am I uncompromising in, in my allegiance? And Paul is saying, when I was with you, uh, you understood that. 
you know who I was, and there was no compromise uh, trying to get a bigger hearing or a bigger group of people, or uh, I was just, this is what it is. This is who I am. I'm trying to please God. What is it that God wants me to do? Well, then in verse 5, he was unselfish. You know, we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. Paul wasn't in it for what he could get out of it. He was in it for the sake of the gospel, to, to tell the truth. It had changed him and transformed him from the inside out so much that he couldn't wait to tell other people. But he wasn't, uh, he wasn't selfish. This was not a, a how much can I get and grab and keep and hold and uh, climbing uh, the mountain to see how high I can get. This was Paul saying, you're my witness. You know, I didn't have a mask to cover up greed. I wasn't trying to fake you out while sticking my hands in your pockets and grabbing what I could. This wasn't about how I could enrich myself. So Paul was unselfish. In verse 6, he was unmoved by pride. We were not looking for praise from men, from men, not from you or anyone else. This wasn't about you blowing the trumpets and saying, hey, Paul is here. What a wonderful guy. He's done some incredible things. Paul is saying, when I was there, it wasn't, this is not a Paul thing. This is not about me. Now, if you have these characteristics in your life, I think people are drawn to you. They, they see that there's authenticity. And I, that's the word I, I keep coming to is, there's this authenticity or this integrity that what you see is what you get. And what happens when you have that kind of person, it draws others because the closer you get, the more real they are. The, the more you understand that what they say is what they are. And it, there's some substance to it. And you begin to trust. And like I say, my brothers, I mean, we all... Uh, we can accept each other for the differences, but we understand that when I have a huge need, when there's somebody I really need to talk to, I pick up the phone, I can talk to my brothers. There's, on the other end, there's total acceptance. Now, they may call me a knucklehead for some decision I made, and I shouldn't have done it that way, do it this way, but I'm willing to accept their counsel because I know at the deepest level they care about me, and that's exactly what's happening here. If you want to have an impact for Christ in your community, in, in your context, it's really critical that you become this person that understands those around you and really begins to build these characteristics into your life. And I know many of you are already doing this, and I, I, I'm not saying you're not. But this is how Paul went to a brand new context and began to... Uh, share the gospel by building these kind of relationships. And the, the reason I'm sharing this, too, is because when we go look for partners around the world, people often ask, well, who are you looking for? <laughs> What's a, this, I'm giving you a list of the qualities and characteristics we look for. If you could find partners on the front lines who are demonstrating this, I'm telling you, you've got something that you need to come up close to. And listen, you come up close to them, not so that you could say, oh, good, we got another partner, but so that you can learn and grow 
and be blessed because you're around somebody that gets it. And I tell you, the more you're around these kinds of people, the more it changes you. It impacts you in a real positive way. Well, the first thing is a brother. Paul had the acceptance of a brother as he, he built that relationship. Next thing is the affection of a mother. Now, when I think of Paul, I don't know about you, if you studied, I mean, I, I think of Paul as a theologian, a teacher, a tough guy. Yes, there are times when he cried when he had to leave people and he knew he might not see them again, but generally speaking, this is a guy that uh, he'd cut it straight and he was pretty, pretty tough. So when he comes in the, in, he's, in the next verse, when he starts talking about, you know, it feels like, hey, Paul, I don't know about this, but he says, uh, going to verse 7, as apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. That's the Apostle Paul saying that. Hey, when I was with you, remember when I was with you? I was, what was, uh, oh yeah, I was like a mother caring for her little children. Now again, he's writing this to real people who are reading this in real time and saying, ah, oh yeah, yeah, you were. A mother caring for her little children. If you want to have an impact in people's lives, there's one thing is having this authenticity and acceptance and understanding as brothers. There's another thing knowing that you care, and in this case, have the affection of a mother caring for little children. What a picture that is of one of the tough guys in Scripture, saying there were times when it was better for me to listen and love than it was to challenge and charge. And I think we need to understand that, that there is a, a, a wide dimension to the relational aspects of a quality ministry, and being a brother is one, but being a mother at times is another. Listening ear, caring heart, loving and kind. And Paul said, this is who I, who I was among you. We have uh, some new friends. By the way, I've done this a number of times. I've traveled the world, and uh, is it five minutes to 11? I can't see the clock there. Okay, I'm going to pull this in right here. But let me tell this story right here. Uh, Nepal, uh, there's this ministry, a Brazilian missionary family that went to Nepal to have ministry uh, doing church planning and stuff. But one day they saw some children on the streets and they found out about them. They were uh, Nepali girls that had been kidnapped and sent off to another country to be involved, uh, unfortunately, in the sex trade against their wills, and what were rescued and repatriated back to Nepal. And here they were in the streets because nobody would accept them. They couldn't go to school. There was nothing for them to do. They were, nobody cared. And they said, God, we're going to do something about that. That ministry today is called Apple of God's Eyes. And if you ever get to Nepal, you've got to meet Rose and Silvio and see this ministry. They have hundreds of girls that have been repatriated, that they have just loved on for Jesus, have put them in homes and provide opportunities for them for education. Since there was no education, they had to start a school. And all, it's just uh, unbelievable to see and see the smile and the happiness on these girls' faces. 
and to talk with them and say, listen, this is where God wants me right now. Many of them come to Christ. To meet with one of them in particular, I remember on the roof of one of these places just saying, well, tell me about yourself. She said, well, I'm going to finish, get my master's degree, I'm going to go to law school, and I'm going to uh, do what I can to rescue more just like me. Um, you know, and do it because this is what God wants me to do. Well, not only that, these girls get older, and what do you do with them? Well, they end up becoming matchmakers as well. They go and find husbands, and, and uh, they, they bring, it's just wonderful to watch these girls who, who had nothing and were destitute and street children and, and just used up and set aside that for the love of Christ and compassion like a mother's heart pull them together and, and love them for the sake of the gospel. This ministry thrives today because these people love Jesus. They saw a need and they met it. And they met it just like Paul. It demonstrated love like a mother. And finally, um, the advice of a father in the next verses. You are witnesses and so is God of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. <laughs> I love that. Now Paul is writing this. Could you, have you ever, ever written a letter like that? Hey, uh, yeah, remember when I was there last month? I, what was, oh yeah, I was holy, righteous, and blameless when I was among you? I don't know. Paul's writing that saying, you remember when I was with you? This is what I was like. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. So the relational aspects, acceptance as a brother, affection of a mother, and there are times you have to give the advice of a father, and uh, encouraging and, and challenging and urging others to live lives worthy of God. Just a few weeks ago, I was in, Nepal, uh, in Thailand, and my wife and I are at this church we love to go to. It's an international church, uh, 50 different nationalities represented. It's a phenomenal place. And they had a new pastor and we're sitting there, you never know, when you get a transition in an international church in that kind of context, is this guy really going to be you know, bringing the word kind of thing? We sat there and we listened to this message. It's like, wow, this is great. This guy, he's bringing it. He loves Jesus. He's not compromising in this context. And so I thought I'd write him a little note afterwards. So we went home to the hotel, and I'm, I'm, look, I'm ready to write a note, and I'm looking at his bio online, and it said, uh, I'm Chilean. And uh, I, I served with my missionary family in uh, Mexico City for a number of years before I went on to theological training in the States and then was a pastor there, and now we're here in Thailand. And I said, hmm, I wonder. So I texted, uh, typed the letter, hey, thank you for the message, this and that. And I said, by the way, have you ever heard of a guy named Nelson Morales? I mean, literally, within 15 minutes, I got a response to the email, Nelson is my father! And it's like... Oh, this is unbelievable. I said, can we get together? He said, I'm free for dinner tonight. So we met them that night. I said, let me tell you about your father. When we started this ministry, one of our missionaries brought him to me and said, you have got to listen to this man, and you've got to support him in any way you can. So I listened to the story of his father, and, and we dialogued, and he became one of our early partners in ministry. I didn't know about his children I didn't know that he had a son named Pablo, and this father wasn't just a missionary from Chile going to Mexico City. He's bringing his family with him, and his family is observing and saying, me too, I'm in. 
and goes on to theological education. And I meet him all of these years later in Thailand because I'm impressed that this man is a man of the gospel. I love when that kind of stuff happens. And I look at this, and I would say Nelson was one of these kind of men that gave the advice of a father. Not just to those he's speaking to, but those in his own home. And they heard, they obeyed, and they're out there doing likewise. And I'm just so thankful that I've lived long enough and have been engaged in ministry long enough that I can see this, these ripple effects of the life of quality, godly men and women on the front lines saying yes to Jesus and saying, I want to be impactful, Lord. Help me relationally. Be the kind of brother or sister I need to be, the, the kind of mother representation, the kind of father that I need to be as I minister to these people for the sake of the gospel. And we close with this. Look at the last verse um, as we get to uh, uh, the, the end here. It says, we pray... Uh, that Jesus may be glorified in you and in him according to the grace is in you. And then, uh, I'm sorry, I went to uh, second thought. I'm wondering what's wrong with my verse. Um, Paul says in uh, verse 3, uh, uh, chapter, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 1, we stand no longer, we thought it best to be, Left by ourselves in Athens, we sent Timothy, who was our brother. He said, listen, we built into other lives. Timothy was one of the lives that we built into. But even before that, Paul said, when you pull it all together and say, what is it that we're supposed to do? What does it culminate in? Paul says in verse 19, as it relates to Timothy and all these Thessalonian believers, for what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of the Lord. Wow, this is exciting. What is it going to be? What's the answer going to be? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Listen, Paul goes through all this and he says, listen, when I was with you, I was like a brother. Mother, father, relational. But the ultimate thing is Paul saying, when I stand before the Lord... I'm going to glory and rejoice, not in all the wonderful things I did and the places I saw and the people I met. I'm going to glory in you. I'm going to be thankful for you. If you or our partners or me can become like Paul and say, Lord, when I'm before you, it's not about me. It's not about accomplishments. It's not about what I've been able to gather. It's about those I bring truly is, Lord, who's coming with me? I want to introduce you to Jose and Pablo and Ahmed and Kiatisak and Josh. I want these people here and I want, to, I, I want to bring them to you as an offering and say thank you for the privilege you gave me, the grace you bestowed upon me that I in turn might be gracious to others. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we love you so much. Thank you for the example of Paul. May we go and do and be likewise. Help us, Father, to, to see this passage, to live and breathe it, and to understand that there is a multi-dimension to being gospel bearers. And help us as we go out in the highways and byways, help it to spill out of us the graciousness of a loving God, the humility that you have shown to us, in the relatability, Father, help us to be relatable for the sake of the gospel that you indeed might reach this world here and beyond. For your namesake, we pray in Jesus' name.